one of the most unique podcasts on the planet. Hey, Bus Driver. Hey, Bus Driver. Hey, Bus Driver, the show about everything related to student transportation. If you're a student transportation professional, you found your show. Hey, Bus Driver, exploring the entire school transportation universe, talking to interesting and inspiring people, exchanging ideas, promoting student transportation industry growth, and sharing a few funny stories along the way. Now, live from Phoenix, Arizona, this is Hey, Bus Driver, and this is Jason Nelson. Hey, friends, welcome back to the Hey, Bus Driver podcast. Uh, This episode, we have uh, several friends that are actually joining this, new people, that uh, Keith Corso, if you listened to the last podcast, was um, sharing his his journey, and these are some people that are uh, he's come in contact with that either help uh, with the design of the bus ride product or also work within their own entities. Um, so I'm very excited to be joined by Chris Gregg, Katrina Falk, and Philip Dunn. Keith Corso is also here to join in the conversation, so we're going to talk a little bit about just what they're doing, maybe from a little bit na- a different national perspective. We've got some people here that are from different states and. Um, you know, I think at least from what I've seen in the last week, we've had several people kind of reach out now that we've got some um, products. We've got masks that are going out and being sold. So got people buying them in Maine and Virginia and Michigan and California. So we're kind of getting this national reach, which is really cool. So I'm excited to see everybody and uh, thank you for taking the time out of your day. So Keith, maybe I'll lead it off with you and just, you know, we had talked a little bit about this. How's it been? And um, how did you come across these folks to to join the podcast today? Yeah, great question. And Jason, thanks again for having us back on here. So how's it been? I'll try to answer that question. But just like you, obviously quite chaotic, uh, but exciting to see how different student transportation leaders are trying to address the evolving needs uh, of the industry. I think um, different school administrators and community members are starting to realize just how critical the function of student transportation is. Now that uh, you know COVID hit, the, bringing students back to school is is the forefront of everyone's conversation, and the way in which that is physically done is through school buses, generally speaking. And so, at a high level, it's nice to see uh, the appreciation that's coming from various different stakeholders and communities in understanding the important work of the, the jobs that these folks on the call have. Um, and then uh, uh, kind of second to that, most people on this call are you know interested in using technology to increase school bus safety, efficiency, et cetera. And what's also happening right now is that in the school bus industry, technology adoption is accelerating given that in, in a in a COVID world, you need to build routes on demand, you need to communicate out to your families in real time, you need to make sure your drivers are properly trained. And so uh, from that standpoint, which is my personal interest, um, it has been uh, uh, you know nice to see that kind of happen. Um, so with that, I'll try to answer your second question, which is how did I come across some of the folks in this call? Um, so with, I'll start off with Katrina. I was actually at the American Bus Association conference in January, and I came across a, a good friend of Katrina's, Christian, who is very involved in school bus safety. And he said, you know, the first person you have to talk to with regard to, you know, integrating technology on school buses is Katrina. And so that was, I don't know, several months ago at this point. And we regularly meet at least every other two weeks. And I follow her day by day on Facebook. So uh, it's great to be connected with her there. 
And then Chris um, actually was looking at his background on uh, LinkedIn and it seemed like his experience kind of, um, you know, as a mechanic and also, uh, you know, driver trainer and where he stands right now uh, in his in his new district implementing technology uh, for routing efficiencies, et cetera. That seemed pretty relevant to some of the work that we were doing over at Busrite and the relationship, Chris, if I'm not mistaken, has been uh, fruitful and has built ever since. Uh, and so the, the final person here, Phil Dunn, who, as you mentioned, is uh, the CIO of Broward County School District in Florida by day. And then by nights and weekends, he is uh, the fearless uh, chief product leader at BusRite. And it's really you know, our goal at BusRite to have practitioners in the industry contributing to the future of what this product is to make sure that we're hitting the problem on the head. Uh, and not creating a problem. And so um, Phil and I met three and a half years ago, and uh, we talk almost every day ever since. And uh, it's great to have these folks on the call here. Yeah, absolutely. I, like I said, really appreciate you guys coming, uh, being part of the show. I think that it's, you know, able to do this because of LinkedIn, um, which I think is a very cool platform. I've never really been a part of it until somebody was like, hey, you really need to get your podcast on there to get connected with like-minded professionals. So, um, you know, I think as I get this reach and this broader, you know, connection, it's very interesting to me to be able to talk to you guys outside of, uh, just reading about it in an article, you know, from like a, one of the magazines. So, um, uh, maybe we'll just start with Chris and then I'll go to Katrina and then Philip. Um, Chris, how'd you, how'd you get into school bus world and, um, you know, where are you located and, and kind of how things have just briefly, how things have been for, uh, well, since the closure in, in March. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, can you guys hear me? Yes. Uh, like familiar faces there, Katrina, and uh, all of that group from our uh, design group. It's great to see you. I know I've missed the last couple of meetings, but and then Jason, I appreciate you putting this together. I have listened to all, all your podcasts so far, and they're great to listen to awesome. the different perspectives that uh, that people have. Um, so I've been in the industry going on 16 years. I, I, kind of funny how I got into it. Originally, I was coaching basketball the high school here in Spokane, Washington, and uh, kind of floating around, not knowing what I was going to do. And my background is mechanics and a job opened up at the bus garage. So I got in part time and then worked into a full time job. I worked for a local district in Spokane for about five years. And then I went off and opened my own business, automotive repair business for a couple of years. And then as my family grew, I needed that uh, flexibility. Um, that I had with the school district, got back into it um, for three years as a mechanic and then worked into a driver trainer and then into an assistant director. And now I'm with Cheney Public Schools uh, in Washington as the assistant director. Um, you know, right now with this COVID thing, it's a struggle. Um, obviously, you know, I've listened to your podcasts and the people that you bring on, we're all in this same situation. Um, trying to navigate the unknown and but it's it's fun to try to figure it out uh, it's definitely hard because none of us have ever been through this. this is one of the nice things about this industry is when you come across something with the network that you have you can usually call somebody and they sure. say hey, oh yeah we've done this <laughs> right now yeah. nobody knows the answer yeah. so uh, that's that's my background and where I'm at awesome Katrina yeah, thanks for including me also. Uh, I am the Director of Transportation for Shelby Eastern Schools. Uh, we are a predominantly rural school district about 30 miles east of Indianapolis. 
I've been in pupil transportation for 20 years, started as a driver and worked my way up through the ranks. I've also worked on the dealer side, so I've seen both sides of the coin. You know, like Chris said, this is really an unprecedented circumstance that we found ourselves in. And uh, it's almost been information overload from all of the webinars and podcasts and sure. the information that we've received from national organizations and state organizations. But it's been reassuring working through it with other colleagues, also, as Chris said. And it's been very difficult to make those concrete plans that parents and community members expect when you're working with uh, an unpredictable variable. So that's definitely been the challenge. But, you know, the key word through all this has been flexible and that keeps coming up. So, uh, you know, here in Indiana, we've had our back to school plans changed multiple times just within the last week. So being flexible has become a a top priority for all of us in pupil transportation. Are you at least seeing a like um, from the state? down they're making those decisions i know here in arizona we're pretty much getting pushed back onto the school districts saying this is what the state wants they want to start um well they want you to they want us to start when our school year is supposed to start but they they say online but we have to provide at least one campus for in-person learning for those that need it and then um but in the same breath they're they're just allowing the, the most flexibility for schools to kind of make decisions at will. So, um, you know, that's kind of one of the things I've seen some states coming out with that and saying, nope, we're going to do this. Every district is going to be required to do that. Is Indiana um, kind of giving you guys that same language? They are not using a one size fits all terminology for us. Uh, the guidance that we've received has been rather vague, uh, but The only time the state has really stepped in here recently has been when there's been an uptick in cases for particular counties, and they've made recommendations for those counties, what the beginning of their school year should look like. So they've left a lot of it on the individual districts. Uh, the, The county that I'm in, there's four school districts. So of course, our superintendents meet regularly and also speak with our local health department. So right now we're working off of local guidelines but I'm sure if there was an issue in our county, the state would probably step in and, and provide a little bit more guidance on what we need to do to get back to school. Got it. Thank you. And Philip, how'd you fall into, uh, into school bus land? Yeah. So uh, thanks for having me, by the way, I have worked in school districts for a long time. I've done various things. I've been a kid, you know, middle school uh, math teacher, for example, uh, kind of bouncing in and out of the, private sector and kind of jump back to the public sector and done a number of things for the last 10 years i've been chief information officer of school districts though and what a cio is is they're basically the head technology executive and i have a parrot that keeps flying to me hold on one second that's cool you say hi it's fine (laughs) we're not recording we're not recording the camera so it's all good yeah you can't live in florida without a parrot you you need an exotic pet but But uh, yeah, so uh, I've been a chief information officer of school districts for the last 10 years. And what that inevitably always involves is working with the myriad systems you have deployed within a school district, which include your transportation systems. So I've always, you know, either tangentially or directly been responsible for the software that supports, you know, building routing tables and routes and managing transportation fleets and things of that nature. Just quickly, I'm currently chief information officer of, as you you mentioned, Broward County 
Public Schools, which is the nation's uh, sixth largest district. I'm 20 miles up the road from Miami-Dade Public Schools, which is the nation's four, fourth largest district, excuse me. We have 275,000 students in Broward County. Miami-Dade has 350,000 students uh, in Miami-Dade County. And I'm 20 miles south of West Palm Beach County, which is the nation's 10th largest school district wow. with approximately 175,000 students. So I say that to say that Southern Florida is the kind of the epicenter of the coronavirus right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I'd arguably say we have the biggest concentration of the largest districts. So, for example, I used to work in New York City schools, which is the largest district with 1.1 million students. Still know a lot of the folks over there and we keep in touch. Um, but in Southern Florida, you have this vast expanse of really dense school districts. In my district alone, we have over 3,000 buses in our fleet. So, you know, I get the privilege of not just because, you know, I'm Florida is the president's home state. So it's a state of a lot of focus for the federal administration. But by the virtue of our size, I get to deal with a lot of policymakers directly that you may see in the news. Sure. You know, kind of get that lens. Cool. No, I appreciate, like I said, I appreciate you guys all being here. This episode is going to be just kind of a loose conversation. So I'm just interested to know. Um, you know, kind of, we can go through each district's kind of what their, what their plan is or what you've had to already do as far as, um, getting ready to return back to an in-person model. So just as far as like scheduling goes, who, I mean, which districts or have you guys looked at, or have you already implemented bell time changes or any kind of route changes? Are you doing, are you trying to do any type of physical distancing on the school bus? Um, I know I saw a really cool tool that came out. Um, through another vendor that somebody had put together, but it was like a hover over map and it was literally the guidance of every state for school bus required or basically to be on a school bus. I don't know if you guys saw that or not, um, but it was very, you know, intuitive because you just hover over, over your state and this is what it was. So somebody took a lot of time to put that together and make it interactive, but maybe we can start um, just with Philip again and I'll just go back the other direction. Um, what are you guys seeing as far as in that, you know, in the, that panhandle of Florida, what are you guys doing or what is being required uh, on the school bus to accommodate a return back to school? And if yeah, I could so, just interject ahead, really, Pete. really quick, Phil was just uh, mentioned in, in our, an awesome article that NBC put out about the increasing role of technology in school districts, which, Phil, it'd be awesome for you to highlight not only um, what Broward is, is considering with regard to reopening, but also the, the overarching role of technology, not only on buses, sure, but yeah. on oh, sure. Yeah, so there's a lot of moving parts in the school bus world right now. And uh, there's a, it's, it's, you know, it's a challenging situation in the short term. For people on the transportation side, there are going to be a lot of opportunities on the long term. And I'll explain what I mean by that. In Broward, what's happening is because we're the epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak, Broward, Miami-Dade, Southern Florida, West Palm Beach, we basically have decided we are going to reopen schools virtually uh, come August 19th, as has Miami-Dade, as has West Palm Beach. And what that has meant is that we are basically going to have students in their homes learning with teachers either in their own homes or coming into school facilities. And early on, since March, we quickly identified that transportation was what we call a gating criteria, meaning no matter how great you figured out how to socially distance and have PPE and have plexiglass and temperature scanners and all these other pieces of equipment in your school, it doesn't matter if you can't get the kids to school, right? right? So what we quickly realized was to even minimally comply with CDC guidelines, we can basically have one kid per seat per row right to achieve that six feet of distancing and what that means for us is we're running buses at 
in most cases for our general yellow fleet with our large buses and our yellow fleet, less than a quarter capacity full, right? right? Which is tremendously expensive. So in the short term, what we've had to decide to do is basically open on schedule, but virtually. And we're going to basically phase a reopening from there. So we have bus drivers that we legally can't pay if they're not driving. And we've quickly, as I said, we have a fleet of thousands of buses in our just my school district. We've been trying to retool those bus drivers. So, for example, for me as a CIO, I've been trying to offer opportunities to some of those bus drivers to help provide technical support. On the operating side of the house, we've been looking at recruiting some of our bus drivers to help frequently clean our facilities and those events that teachers are going in mm -hmm. to teach virtually. So in the short term, it's challenging for bus drivers and they're going to have to learn some new skills. In the long term, it's very good because we know we're going to open up at some point. And now those bus drivers have all these this myriad number of skills. Sure. And it's probably going to open up a number of career pathways for drivers. That's a good point. I mean, people looking for more hours or, you know, especially tapping into maybe a niche or, um, you know, their their background from wherever they come from, right, and getting them back an opportunity to maybe get a look at a position that they normally wouldn't be considered for, something like that, which we know happens, unfortunately. Yep. Um, but uh, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, for us – while that's nationwide, that's kind of the idea is that if drivers aren't working, they're not, you know, they're not getting paid. Um, I think the bigger issue is that we can't go as a nation and lay off drivers and expect right. for us to be able to rehire and train and get everybody back and ready to go for potentially an October start. Let's just say it's October, um, you know, for to have to have something to look forward to. That's just a crazy amount. I mean, for, for you guys, that would be hundreds of drivers, hundreds of, you know, close to how many drivers you have? Thousands, Thousands of drivers that potentially are going to leave and go find work elsewhere because there are places that are hiring, whether it's, you know, fast food or, or something, their bills have to get paid. They can't just, you know, not work. Um, and we know that unemployment benefits were, I think, set to run out yesterday. Um, yep. You know, so there's a lot of moving parts here and I, I you know I think districts really need and, and just even private companies need to figure out how to you know you want to make sure that you're able to operate when the time comes you can't we can't afford to have a mass exodus of, of exactly employees. so very interesting Katrina what's what's going on in Indiana have you guys made any uh, bell time schedule changes or route changes are you trying to do any physical distancing on the school bus we're actually trying to make this look as normal as possible. So we, we went through all of the scenarios that everybody else has, breaking down the capacity on our buses, how many more trips would we have to add? For one example, in order to physically distance students on one route, we would have to break that route into four separate trips. So that times 18, we're getting into quadruple the number of buses, bus routes we're normally running. Encouraged us to try to keep things the way they have been historically. A lot of districts in our area are not physically distancing on their buses. Rather, they're encouraging parents to transport their students or they're offering a virtual option for students to e-learn if they aren't ready to return to the buildings. So our routes are going to be run this year the way that they've always been run. Of course, we have a plethora of uh, considerations for our bus drivers as we move towards the beginning of the school year, sanitizing schedules, seating charts, so on and so forth. 
So it's, it's a very different time, but we've taken the stance that we're going to try to make it look as normal as we possibly can. Uh, there's some districts now, especially in Marion County, because there's been a COVID case spike in Indianapolis and surrounding areas that are looking at doing alternating days for their K through 12 students and running elementary every day. It's, it's kind of a by the hour decision here right now. So even though that isn't the direction that we started in, of course we have some contingencies in the wings just in case that's what our county health department tells us we need to do. Sure. But, you know, fingers crossed, we're, we're going to try to get through this as we have in the past. I know that a lot of our parents have questions about what this is going to look like. Our superintendent is actually doing a Facebook Live se- session on Monday, and he's gathering questions from them right now. Uh, parents have sent in a, a good number of transportation-related questions, so hopefully a lot of that gets cleared up on Monday. The biggest concern right now is masks. Uh, before Wednesday, masks were not required, but then our governor announced the statewide mask mandate beginning Monday. So that might change how many riders we have, because of course that's a very touchy topic with some people. Sure. And now they're going to be required for uh, children ages eight and older. So, you know, the ridership survey that we sent out to try to see how many bus riders we're going to have this year. The numbers came in pretty strong compared to last year, but I I guess we'll see in the next week and a half as, as we get close to our start date on August 5th. And so are they scheduled, you're scheduled to return back to in school on the 5th or are you guys starting online on the 5th? We are starting in the building on August 5th, but as I said, we're offering a virtual uh, e-learning option also. 93% of our school district during registration indicated they would be returning to the buildings. But of course, there's been some parents who have decided to go with the e-learning option because of the mask mandate now. Uh, Marion County schools were actually set to open next week. They've been pushed back a week by the governor just because of the case spike. There are some districts that have elected to go with e-learning for the first semester the first quarter, whatever it might be. Uh, But all four districts in our county have decided to try to kick this off in person. Interesting. And Chris? Yeah, so kind of going to be an echo of what Katrina said. We're, you know, in a holding pattern right now. Um, The state superintendent has said he wants us to focus on being back in the classroom Um, So we have four scenarios that our district is looking at, which is a full-time in-person, a hybrid K through 12, K-5 in-person and a hybrid for 612, and then obviously full online. Um, So our committee, reopening committee, has been meeting every Wednesday and going over the different options we have for that. And it's nice that both myself and my director are in those conversations and in those groups. Um, It's kind of it's interesting here because everything that happens on the east side of the state is kind of driven off of the west side, what happens in Seattle. And just yesterday, we got word that Kent School District, which is one of the larger ones on the west side, uh, has gone to full online. And then to complicate situations a little bit, the WEA, which is the bargaining unit for the teachers, put out an article yesterday. I don't know if you guys saw it, but that they are not supporting in full in classroom or can't support it. Um, 
So, you know, they asked me the question on Wednesday about what option would be best for transportation. And I just told them, you know, without knowing what your hybrid models look like, if it's an AB schedule, if it's, you know, half days, we don't really know. And, um, you know, you said earlier about the laying off of people right now, our district is is planning on keeping our drivers, all of our classified staff, um, whether we're in in the classrooms or online. Um, but we don't know what will happen if they do decide to actually go full online, that struggle of losing drivers um, if they go on unemployment or look for other jobs is a huge, huge hit. And I was just having this conversation this morning with my director, like, how are we going to do that? Um, it's scary. Yeah. Um, no, definitely. And especially like right now, right, we, we're advertising that we are hiring for those people that need work and you know it's really difficult to even get people to apply so um i i'm very right yeah we have a training class scheduled coming up on august 3rd um so that's a tough conversation to have with a prospective new employee you know you can't really tell them what their work schedule is going to look like right um it's tough yeah and i think i mean we've already had a couple virtual meetings just this summer with our staff just not on the clock, right? Just a, Hey, here's, this is for informational purposes only. And if you, you don't have to attend, if you don't want to, but just to try and get out in front of it, right? There's, you know, they're just sitting, they've been sitting at home since March. And even though from March to May, we've been meeting with them and trying to keep them busy at home, uh, doing a, a variety of online training, there's still that, that fear of, am I going to get laid off? What about my benefits? What about, all of this stuff that, you know, and those that are not comfortable even returning, you know, they probably haven't left their house all summer because of the fear of, you know, of COVID-19. So I think that we're just trying to, uh, like I said, stay out ahead of the, you know, the concern and try and walk people off the ledge. Hey, just bear with us, right? We're, we're working on a plan. We have all of the interest for you guys and trying to make sure that, they're going to get paid. You know, we want to make sure they're going to get paid. We want to make sure they're going to keep their benefits. We want to make sure that, you know, they're doing work that they reasonably can do because probably like you, we have several that are, you know, well into their, you know, their golden years or there's, you know, their retirement phase, they've already retired and they're just kind of doing this for benefits. So how do they, you know, some of them can't do manual labor, go into a class, you know, a school or a classroom and be building desks or, or cleaning or, or doing that stuff. So, um, just very interesting to, like I said, to, to hear all the different perspectives. Um, what are you guys doing as far as like sanitization on the bus and disinfecting? Do you have you have you developed a plan yet? We have. Uh, we've actually been working on our reopening plans since May, and our uh, building maintenance director has been. Uh, probably pulling his hair out, going through all of these different uh, cleaning supplies and whatnot. But we have an EPA approved product and it aligns with the CDC's guidelines for coronavirus. And we have two different forms of it. Uh, we have it in spray bottles and then we also have it in foggers. And the only advantage to the foggers is it puts out a, a broader reach of the product and it dries a little bit faster. So we will be using that after morning runs and then after afternoon runs. And then our drivers who have vocational school will also be using it after their midday runs. 
So it's uh, a product that just gets left on. They don't have to wipe it off. It takes about 10 minutes to dry uh, in the driver's area. And then on our buses with seatbelts, we have to be a little more mindful about the products because, of course, we've received guidance from our manufacturers that say no ammonia-based products, no bleach-based products. So they've recommended Lysol, 409, so on and so forth. So trying to find some of that right now obviously has been tricky, (laughs) but we're trying to follow uh, the CDC guidelines and our manufacturer's guidelines as closely as we can. Sure. Philip? Yeah. I, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. I, was just, Go ahead, Katrina. I, I was just going to add, our drivers do have a sanitizing schedule that they have to initial after they complete the sanitizing. And that's, that was just part of our reopening plan that the school board approved so that we can have documentation for that should it ever fall into question. Have you thought about doing or will they be required to do them in between runs, like in between their first and second tier or anything like that, or just waiting until the end of the uh, end of the day? or into the morning we, route or into the afternoon route? We just run a single tier K through 12. So we'll only be doing it twice a day. Got it. Yeah. So this is kind of when you step back, this is why a lot of districts are thinking about either delaying start or opening virtually, right? Talked about gating criteria before. So, you know, I'm trying to put this politely from what we understand with the science, I mean, Cleaning buses is not likely to be a successful strategy in, in curtailing, curtailing positivity rate growth mm-hmm. uh, for the reason primarily because when you look at how the disease spreads, the disease tends to spread through airborne droplets, right? So there's been a lot of studies. And again, like, you know, by virtue of being on the national stage, you know, we work with folks at Harvard. We work with folks at the CDC. I work with folks at the American Academy of Pediatrics. Um we work with Ron DeSantis's office, you know, the Florida Department of Health. We work with Betsy DeVoe in the Federal Department of Education. So behind the scenes, you know, there's an understanding that there's a lot of evidence that even if you're wearing PPE, even if you're disinfecting areas, there's still positivity rate spread. The only real effective strategy that's been demonstrated has been social distancing. Mm-hmm. So I laid that on thick to say we're not really planning on cleaning the buses more than we normally clean them when we do reopen. And the decision to reopen is in part going to be based on whether there's evidence of further community spread, because we know that that's not going to achieve anything if we're cleaning buses every day. And at best we had talked about perhaps just keeping drivers safe by building a plexiglass shield around them. Hmm. But that's it. Has there been any talk of on the, on the subject of shields? I know that uh, I've seen Texas department of public safety come out and say, absolutely not. I've seen, um, some other um, departments from other states, including our own, basically say we're open to it. However, um, it needs to be FMVSS uh, yep. certified. It needs to be, you know, the manufacturers need to approve it. it. Needs to be crash rated. All of that stuff. So, you know, it seems like from the most part, most manufacturers are like, absolutely not. We're not going to, you know, put any money or time into development of that. So, seems like that's pretty yep. much out. Right. Um, For us, at least here in Arizona, you know, um, masks are pretty much for the most part. Again, it's being left up to district, but masks are going to be required on the bus for both the students and the drivers. I guess my only concerns, you know, there's several concerns, right? Concerns of is a parent going to be combative at the bus saying my student's not going to wear a mask. Right. Um, The other sides of it of how do how we have several gen ed students that have medical conditions that we don't always have provided to us, right? We see our 
the students that are eligible for transportation curb to curb based on their IEP needs. But the other side of it is those students that are gen ed that have a health condition that we don't know of. So, right, how is that going to be divulged to the driver so that they're not making an issue that little Susie can't wear a mask right. because of a health condition? And, you know, we're just sitting there prodding like, absolutely not. You're not going to ride the bus. So what does right. that look like? And how does that then stir the fear of another parent who's saying, well, Susie's not wearing a mask. And then there we're getting that phone call back and forth. And it, it's just going to be a, a wild show for sure. I think we're just going to sit back and get our popcorn. But Yeah, so just really quick to dovetail on that, what we're talking about in the southern Florida region is basically creating a phased approach to reopening, as I said before. We're for that first phase, we're identifying populations that we want to prioritize for support. So, for example, we suspect that within the first semester, we'll be having special education kids go into the school facility. Got it. Right? And they have a legal entitlement to services, and you can't really provide virtualized sure. services to people sure. that have needs for special accommodations, right? Sure. So that's where I think districts should start thinking about how do we right-size our fleet to service that population, right? How do we rebuild the routing tables to just do those students? and any ancillary students that we need to also do in general ed to have an inclusive environment. And then, you know, kind of contain the vector of any disease transmission based around that narrower fleet structure. Sure. Yeah, no, it sounds like at least from what I'm hearing, it sounds like Florida's really, at least the southern part of Florida is really developing a plan based on science and, you know, just a, a, I like the phase plan, right? Where here's where we're at. Then we're going to focus on a small group of kids that need to get back. Then we're going to focus on, you know, opening up to the masses. So, exactly. um, Chris, you want to talk a little bit about what Washington or what your district's doing as far as their sanitation or sanitization protocols are going to be for the school bus? Yeah, so it was interesting when this whole thing first went down, the sanitation was a huge thing and we were running our food buses. And so every time they came out or went out to deliver when they came back our technicians would go out with sprayers and spray everything down and then as we started into the planning portion of this for reopening they kind of cut back on those guidelines and said well you know given the amount of time that kids are on buses and if you can keep the windows open social distancing isn't as big of a piece which uh personally to me seemed to contradict but there's people smarter than me at the at that health level um so right now Again, with not knowing how the hybrid system is going to look, uh, I will say much like Karina is, uh, Katrina is doing, um, as they go out and come back in the morning, um, they will spray. We have a handful of buses that stay home with the drivers, so we have a different um, product for them that they we deliver to their houses so they can disinfect in between each run. Um, so that's kind of our plan now, unless something changes, and it probably will by the end of the day, something else will come up and we will have to adjust. Um, I have heard and looked at those electrostatic sprayers. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't uh, researched them enough, but it seems I hear that come up a lot. So it's something that I'll probably start looking into um, for the buses. Yeah, it seems like they're very hard to come by. I think everybody wants I've heard that. $750, $800 for a unit. And, you know, when you can pretty much use a product in a spray bottle, that was kind of our thought was that we would, in between each of their tiered runs, we would just, they'd have a spray bottle and they'd a light mist as they're, you know, clearing their bus for students. And then that way, at least we're calling it sanitized. And then 
once they got back from their morning runs, then the disinfection would be um, done with, you know, more of like a, a we're using, we're going to end up probably using a gallon type uh, garden sprayer with the same solution that, that does a fine mist and then really kind of, you know, walk back through there and make sure that everything's getting done. But the same thing, it doesn't have to be wiped down. It pretty much dropped the windows and let it air out. Um, so Chris, I'll ask you this question since you have a mechanical background, what buses have been sitting since March, right? So what, what have you guys been doing to make sure that buses are going to be ready for the upcoming school year, whenever that does start? And, you know, um, what would your, I guess, your recommendations be to people that maybe aren't paying attention to that, right? They can't just expect the buses to turn on and everything be ready to go. So what, how are you preparing, but also what would be some things for them to look at if they're not in that mindset of making sure their fleet's ready to go? Right. Well, when we shut down in March, it was uh, the one good thing that came out of it is we were having our uh, state inspection on our school buses from the Washington State Patrol. So it gave our our uh, technicians and the guys in the shop a good month and a half to go through every bus. Uh, so we had a great inspection, um, which was good. Um, right now, the guys are going through and doing safeties on every buses. Um, it does a couple things to make sure that our buses are as safe as possible. Um, it also is getting each bus up and running and moving. Um, you know, when you have a fleet of school buses just sitting, people wouldn't think things can happen. But more often than not, any of us that have been in the shop side of it, especially when you're doing an inspection, you're going to see issues with those buses that sit for a long time. So our guys... Um, are just going through the fleet. We have about 80 buses, so they average about four or five buses a day. They bring them in, all those little things that they can't get to during the year. Okay. And then when and if um, we start transporting students again, uh, we're scheduled to start September 2nd. So traditionally, two weeks before uh, school starts, we have um, our guys go out, start everything. And then when our drivers come in for their in-service, um, that week before school starts, they go out and drive their routes. Um, you know, some things that people need to be worried about, um, you know, obviously just the battery sitting and starting. Um, and here in our neck of the woods, we have our auxiliary heaters that run. Um, you know, people need to be paying attention, shutting those down. You know, hopefully they've already done that since school's technically out. But you know, just all those little things, wheel seals and the things that can break down from just sitting are things that the guys in the shop really should be focusing on. And you got all the time in the world right now to do right. that, especially, you know, like I said earlier, we're driven off of what happens on the west side of the state. I, I'm i getting the feeling that we're going to be online. Um, and so we're going to have even more time to uh, worry about those buses sitting um, and we just really need to be focused on before we actually start going out and transporting kids that we've done our due diligence and making sure that everything is up to code and ready to go. Right. Anybody else want to add to that before I switch gears on, uh, talk a little bit about in-service Katrina. Yeah. If we had any suspicions about buses that had weak batteries before we've certainly weeded those out. Sure. And, uh, <laughs> found those through this. It, just like Chris said, we've tried to take this as an opportunity to just uh, focus on some of those maintenance issues that maybe we didn't have time to when the buses were running constantly. Obviously, batteries has been our, our biggest battle 
over the last month or two. But uh, my maintenance director came up to me this morning, actually, he had moved a bus that had been sitting for a while. And he said, there's a bird's nest under that bus. Yeah. And I've had a driver religiously going through those buses and cleaning them and getting them ready to go. And that was still something that got missed. So, you know, strange things happen when you leave them parked for a while. Uh, but we're trying to be mindful of that because we do have state inspections coming up also. They were delayed from May. So uh, we're just taking this time to get everything ready for a successful start of school and also a good inspection because, you know, through all of this, even with school closed, we just anticipated they might need the buses at a moment's notice. So we've tried to keep them ready to go. Right. You want to talk a little bit about what your plans are for in-service, Katrina, there in Indiana? Yeah, we actually had our in-service last week. And we started it with a nurse practitioner from one of our local hospitals coming in and talking to our drivers for about 45 minutes about COVID in general, what she's seen working through this, taking questions. And there were a lot of questions. So I was very happy to see the drivers taking advantage of her being there and asking the questions that they have and sharing their concerns. And I think she put a lot of their minds at ease over some of the concerns that they came in with. We have added, obviously, a COVID curriculum to our online safe schools training that all of our district employees are having to go through. So in addition to what we normally cover at our back-to-school meeting, we've had this added element. And again, it's just precautionary. We want to make sure that we're doing everything that we can do, and we're providing all the information we can to our drivers so that they have the knowledge coming into this. Chris? Yeah, so our in-service, like I said, we usually schedule for the week before start of school. We just, I had a meeting yesterday with our regional coordinator. Um, you know, everything, I think, um, Sean, is it Shauna that you had on the podcast or Shannon? Uh, Shannon. Well, I have uh, Stephanie, who actually is from Washington, and she's still a, a okay. trainer up there, Stephanie Arbaugh. And then Shannon uh, Weber is one of my colleagues here where I work, uh, one of our other supervisors. <laughs> So, yeah, our in-service curriculum is handed down through OSPI, uh, given to our driver trainers. And it's interesting because they delayed all of our driver trainer in-services for a year. Um, so I kind of thought they might do the same thing for the drivers. So we didn't get word until Wednesday that they came down. It's a, a shortened version of what we normally do. Normally, we have about six or seven hours of in-service. They gave us three topics. We haven't seen them yet. Um, so our plan is trying to follow the CDC guidelines with the social distancing. We have about 90 drivers. Um, what we're going to do is do a couple four, well, four hour classes until we can get them all um, done. So we'll probably have to start a little bit sooner. Uh, we are adding a COVID class um, and we have our safe schools training that they will have to do. Um, we have our nurses come in um, to do our first aid training um and health and wellness so they will be doing the covid side of that for us got it uh so i have a question for hey, philip if you want to touch on all of that you certainly can and then I, I have a question for you around technology yeah the technology one's probably more my wheelhouse all right awesome <laughs> so um you know obviously you guys have all been working with keith and and kind of you know bringing this new product on um so i'm interested to know about 
what your plans have been uh, for those users that are using the product already and kind of also what technology maybe that the, you know, South Florida is looking into as far as, um, you know, whether it's contact tracing through some sort of student ridership programs or, um, you know, not necessarily temperature checking, but what, are, I mean, what's out there? What, what are yeah. you guys really getting creative with? And, and just maybe talk a little bit about what you guys have been doing the last several months since uh, all of this has happened and how the product has really maybe turned a corner and you and Keith can kind of talk a little bit about that. Like what you guys are, the direction that things have gone that maybe you didn't see in December, put it that way. Yeah. I'll, I'll talk about that in reverse order and then hand it off to Keith, but we looked at in the school district a number of technologies, including not just, um, for example, we looked at the handheld temperature uh, thermometers, and we looked at, for example, the temperature check devices with the black box mm -hmm. that you walk by. Those things go up to $20,000 a unit. The cheapest one you can find is a unit that's by and large used in Asia and Europe. That's about $2,000 per unit. Um, that requires at least three seconds, I want to say, to detect a person. Hmm. So, you know, and, and we've looked at so much technologies around this. We looked at contact tracing software. And the general conclusion is this. When you think of how a school actually works, A, using these technologies successful or successfully, B, is not something that we could probably do. So if you take a high school, for example, that has 5,000 kids, large comprehensive high school, and the kids are like ingressing and egressing at just morning and later at dismissal. How do you funnel 5,000 kids in and out the door, you know, with 20,000 or, or even $60,000 invested at that entry point? Right. It's going to take the kid 30 minutes to get in and out. Sure. And they're not going to come. They're high school students, you know. <laughs> so we quickly realized a lot of the things that vendors had out in the marketplace, whether they be plexiglass shields that, you know, oh, that because they, they make these plexiglass things for guests, for example. And you go, okay, that looks cool. But then you think, oh, well, the kid throws a spitball on it and then the other kid goes to pick it off. It's, it, schools aren't sanitary environments. They're not scientific environments. You know, things like contact tracing are best done by state departments of health, not local school districts. Sure. So we quickly started, you know, my mantra in life generally became my mantra at work. Let's do less. How do we do less? Less is right? more. And do it really well. Yep. Less is more. So that was um, basically the focus as I saw it in local school districts here in Florida, narrowing that focus and going to bus right. I mean, with bus right, a lot of the things we kind of put on our roadmap were accelerated due to COVID. So, for example, driver engagement is going to be probably the most important thing in the school transportation world for the next two years because you're going to have this massive supply shock to the industry, right, where drivers are being displaced. They're being some of them dislocated from their jobs. Some of them are temporarily subbing in and doing something. Maybe some of them will just kind of break away from the industry and keep doing whatever they were doing. Other drivers will come back and you'll have an influx, right? There's going to be a crisis this time next year <laughs> to go resupply the industry, sure. right? And it's going to be not just that. Not only will there be a crisis because of what we lost, it'll be a crisis because everywhere in America will be looking for drivers all at the same time. Yep. Right? Which we already So are. we already know that. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to have a lot of green new drivers and in many cases driving places in a community that they're really not familiar with yeah. right because they went there for the opportunity sure. so in bus right we focus more on the driver experience where we're saying how do we make it so that the app for a driver to do their job every day is like facebook you want to check it mm -hmm. right so we have route notes and stop notes for example 
so that when a new driver comes into a community, you can institutionalize the knowledge. And, you know, Timmy can't sit next to Susie on this route or, you know, be careful because even though it looks like it's clear up ahead at this intersection, you generally want to avoid it. And here's why. Right. So that's a big piece. And then another big piece of it that we're kind of like looking, you know, and thinking about really coming off seamlessly is the driver navigation piece where in bus right, you get turn by turn instructions if you're a driver, particularly because we're expecting to see an influx of drivers into the industry over the next two years that are learning. Sure. And Keith, I don't know if you want to jump in. Yeah, no, I think you definitely hit that on the nail. And with regard to technology and product, kind of, you know, your, your current role of heading product at bus right, you're, you're probably the one who's more well suited for that answer. But um, just, just for context for new listeners, you know, bus right was really built to be that all in one solution for school bus routing, parent bus tracking apps and driver navigation, as Phil alluded to. And, you know, we focus on three things on that front. Number one, simplicity. Number two, cost effectiveness. Uh, and number three, ease of implementation. And with regard to COVID, ease of implementation is really important. We're engaging new customers right now. So between now and August 26th to September 2nd, we're doing new implementations. And the fact that BusRite can literally be rolled out in less than a week if you're uh, you know, implementing the actual tablets and mounts, and it could actually be implemented overnight if you're basically just downloading our mobile apps, if your drivers are comfortable using their own smartphones. So the idea that the technology can be downloaded on anyone's smartphone and can be popped up on any single web app or browser or computer that you're sitting in front of, that was the goal from day one. And I think it's becoming um, of increasing importance moving forward for transportation leaders as they're working from their home, they're going into work a couple days a week, uh, and their drivers might want to access their driver app from their personal phone, you know, when they're not on their bus looking at their tablet. So the, the like I mentioned, you know, ease of implementation is really important. Simplicity, uh, you know, Phil's done a great job with the rest of the team, making sure that we're, you know, putting together design partner program sessions with folks like Chris, with with people like Katrina, where we're constantly getting feedback from people in the market um, to make sure that our designs are really easy to understand and the product is very, very intuitive. Because at the end of the day, the industry is moving at such a fast pace. And, you know, we don't want there to be a steep learning curve with a product. Um, it really needs to be simple and work in the background. Sure. Well, you see that with technology just in general, right? I mean, new apps that come out, you know, it's kind of you're in and the next day you're out. So if you're not staying relevant with the market and just the generalized market, right, just what's available and out there, I think that it's you got to make sure that you're staying up with that and staying relevant. So um, I'll, we're already at 50 minutes kind of went pretty fast so um i'd like to do this as like a part one and maybe see like i said if we can get you guys back in uh, a few weeks to talk i'd like to talk a little bit more of just about technology in general um routing and you know uh gps those types of things i think that this group seems like you guys like would like to geek out on that so um i i like to embrace that as well here and um, so it, it's a lot of fun and I, I've seen the industry grow considerably exponentially in the last 10 years that I've been in this. And I think you probably will all attest to that. Um, but I want to give you all each an, an opportunity to just kind of close it up with some final thoughts for this episode. Uh, Chris, we'll start off with you and then we can just go, I guess my clockwise. So Chris, Katrina, Philip, and then Keith and Keith, you can close it out. Yeah, well, first of all, again, I'd like to say thank you uh, to you, Jason, for having us on. And then obviously, Keith, Philip, and uh, Katrina, it's, uh, you know, getting into these groups. It's the great thing about our industry is the networking and the people that we meet. Um, I've learned so much 
from the bus right design group and i will say it's this is one of the things that i like about them most is that uh, they're willing to reach out to people that are in the industry get feedback and then you see a result of that pretty quickly in their uh design of their product um as far as this whole covid thing um we just got to keep our head up keep pushing forward um I had a supervisor when I first got started into this industry. And when I asked him about being uh, a supervisor, he goes, you got to have your head on a swivel, which made a lot of sense to me as a basketball player. Um, you're getting things thrown at you from a hundred different angles. Um, so just let's all, we'll get through it. We'll get through it together. Yep. Um, and I look forward to a future podcast. I love the podcast. The, the episodes you've had so far are great. Thank you. Um, but again, I appreciate it. Thank you, Keith. Katrina? Flexibility, like I said earlier, but moreover, make sure your drivers are okay. Make sure your aides are okay. Check on your families. We're in a very small community. We have about 1,100 students. I have 18 drivers and two bus aides. So I've tried to keep the communication open because obviously when we shut down on March 13th, we didn't realize that we wouldn't be back into our buildings again until August. So I think just making sure everybody's okay and communicating as best you can, even though the information is changing as rapidly as it is, you know, just see if there's anything anybody needs. Uh, Our parents have been wonderful. They've been very supportive through this. I appreciate that. You know, they're taking the information that we have and disseminating it as best they can. So, uh, you know, it goes the same way in the industry. Chris and Philip and Keith, they've been probably the only people that I've seen outside of my own house uh, regularly for the past couple months now. So it's been really comforting having other people, even across the United States and different areas, just to bounce ideas off of, whether it's technology or the COVID situation. So, you know, just try to, to go with it. We're going hour by hour here. That's what I just told a couple of our drivers this morning, yep. but we'll make it through. We, we're a very uh, strong industry, and that's because of the people that we have in it. So we'll get through this. Yep, I agree. Thank you. Yeah, it's a dovetail on Katrina's eloquent comments. For me, this has been impactful in that I keep coming back to the thought that this is our moment. In schools, in K-12 education, we talk a lot about teachers and the relationship between a teacher and a student is sacred. But this crisis has thrust into stark relief the fact that we need our first responders. We need our sanitation and maintenance staff. We need our drivers, our fleet managers. It takes all of these parties acting in concert to create this magical thing we call the educational experience. It's no different than if you go to, I'm from New York originally, so I make a lot of New York analogies. If you go to Broadway and watch the play Hamilton, and as much as the actors are great, it's that confluence of the sound, the lighting, the talent that was brought to the table, the facilities people that make sure the environment is pristine. It's all of them coming together to make that moment. So this is our moment. And I encourage your listeners, I encourage your drivers to to own it because you're just as important as all of us in this. And we appreciate your service. So thank you. Yep, And I agree to that. I'll just add before I let Keith close us out. You know, I've I've said this too. This is this is bigger than all of us, right? And I think when you talk about the education side, 
this is no longer about what my agenda is or, you know, our personal, we all are affected by it, but I think the one main focus is, is students and education, right? And we've got so many that haven't been in school for 30 some weeks now, and they, you know, there's, this is going to be impactful for them for several years trying to catch up and be at the learning level that they, that they are supposed to be at, right? And so, you know, I applaud the teachers and the educators and everybody for trying to put this, you know, really change the system overnight, but there's still that value of in-person, in a brick-and-mortar building, learning, and that nurturing that happens between educators and students, and and we play a role in that, right? We, as as student transportation, there wouldn't be no, no school if there's no bus drivers, and, you know, when people say, I'm just a bus driver. You're not just a bus driver. You have an important role in this and they need to understand that. So, you know, I I know that everybody has their beliefs, their personal beliefs, their political beliefs or whatever, throw that crap out the window because it doesn't matter right now. Right. If it means wearing a mask so that we can get kids on a bus and get them to school so that they can learn, then that's what we got to do. So um, I I very much appreciate all of your guys conversations and, and closing out and Keith, you know, we'll let you close it out. I would be doing this discussion a disservice if I tried to close it out because (laughs) the dialogue that just happened was phenomenal. And so I'll let it speak for itself. Awesome. Well, again, I appreciate you all being here. Um, Again, appreciate all of the uh, outreach that we've had this week just with our content that's been coming out, the new um, masks that are available for purchase for those that want to support their uh, support the show. And um, be sure to follow us on the, on social media, our website, HeyBusDriver.com. Um, this episode will be out in a couple weeks, so, um, we'll get that pared down and hopefully, like I said, I'll reach out to you guys and we'll figure out how to, uh, get this group back together. Hopefully, uh, soon to talk a little bit more in depth about technology and how it's advancing in transportation land. So until then you guys be safe. I appreciate all your time and thank you very much. We'll talk to everybody later. Thank you. See you guys, everyone. It's been a pleasure. Great seeing everyone. See everyone. Talk to you all soon. You've been listening to Hey Bus Driver. Thanks for being part of our community. If you're a student transportation professional, you are part of our family. The show is coming to a close, but you can reach out online. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hey Bus Driver Podcast. And check out the website at www.heybusdriver.com. Till next time, this is Hey Bus Driver, signing off.